Today, we're going to talk about something that we all love to talk about, and that's waiting. Because all y'all love to wait. Some of y'all went to Best Buy yesterday or on Black Friday like, why am I waiting so long? Why is everybody and their mama and their cousin here at Best Buy? We, that's something we don't do very well is wait. But there truly is something beautiful, yes, difficult, but transformative about waiting. And so as I was thinking about the season that we're in and the season to come, I was thinking about my worst Christmas ever. And it happened when I was in the third grade. My parents were having a lot of marital issues, and so my mom left. And she left right in the holiday, in the middle of the holiday season. And I remember in my letters to Santa and in all the things that I wanted, I didn't want toys. Those would have been nice. I didn't want clothes. And I didn't even want shoes, y'all, which is something, all right? But what I wanted was I wanted for my mom to be home for Christmas, And I remember hoping and wishing that my mom would come back home, that she would decide to come and be a part of all the family things that we were doing because it just didn't feel like Christmas without my mama. And so I remember Christmas Eve and I remember the struggle to sleep and just with full honesty, I still struggle to sleep on Christmas Eve, y'all. And I know what's coming, you know. I think I'm still just excited about the joy that just happens on Christmas Day, knowing that many years ago a king came, but also getting to be reminded of the joy that came by opening presents. And so as a kid, though, it was even more. I was so excited. I tossed and turned. And is it me or does Christmas Eve feel like the longest night in the history of mankind? And so I waited and and waited and kept checking the clock and only five minutes would pass at the time. And I would doze off for like two minutes and wake back up. Then it was finally time to get up, and me and my brother shared a room at this time, my older brother Tony, and I remember saying, Tony, I think it's time. And he was a little older, and he was like, okay, fine. So I remember the first thing I did, I I didn't go and check on the Christmas tree. I went and checked my parents' bedroom to see if my mom had come home. So with great anticipation, with great hope that the waiting was not wasted, I opened my parents' bedroom door, but my mom was not there. And I remember just the disappointment. I almost felt as if I had been duped by the Christmas season because it was a time to remember and a time to hope because a Savior was born in a manger. The hope of the nations came. But on this particular Christmas, no hope came and no mom was there. And so for me, it kind of built in me and instilled in me this hesitation to believe that the waiting is worth it. So I don't know what your story is, and I don't know the narrative. I don't know the hurt you've been experiencing. But maybe for you, you can relate to that story in more ways than you want to because you too have waited. You too have hoped, but you have felt as if your hope did not come through. You felt as if this king, who everyone says is good, did not deliver on his promises. And so today, we're going to engage in that. And here is a reminder that we all need to be reminded of, is that the king keeps his promises. And you might go, but Nick, uh, I don't know if I believe that. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions just to kind of set our sights on. The king promised his son would come. Did he come? 
The king also promised that this gift that we received on that first Christmas would be the gift that ultimately set us free through his death and resurrection. Is the tomb of the son of the king empty? Well, if that is true, then the king keeping his promises is true. Hear me. The king sees you, the king loves you, and the king is for you. And right now, you might not be able to see the fingerprints all over what he is doing, but I promise you that there are fingerprints. And I love how Pastor Mike Todd puts this. He says, waiting is not punishment, but preparation. Let me say that again, because I don't want you to miss it. Waiting is not punishment, but preparation. We have to remember that waiting is a necessary part of the journey. Paul David Tripp, one of my favorite authors, says it this way, we will spend the majority of our lives in the in-between and not yet. Think about that. The majority of your life is not going to be at those altars in those moments that you see God moving. No, it's in the in-between of what is promised and not yet. And so we have to learn how to navigate the waiting because the waiting is a necessary part. And it is not punishment, it is preparation, everybody. And we are going to see that through the story of a guy named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this story is found in Luke chapter 1. You can go ahead and turn there or open up your Bible app and go to our live event. And we're going to see that the waiting was necessary to yield what God was up to and what God promised. And so as we prepare our hearts and as we engage in this conversation and this narrative, let me pray for us right here, right now, and I ask you to join me. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you use the waiting. Thank you that you use difficult things. Thank you that you know what you're doing. Thank you that you're still seated on your throne because the work has been completed. Thank you that you're still active, that you're still moving. And Lord, give us a reminder today, a necessary reminder, because I know that those watching online and in this place, there are those that are wondering if the waiting is worth it. Father, will you remind them in this place and in this space through the power of your Holy Spirit that the waiting is not punishment, the waiting is preparation. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you that you've given us all that we need through your birth, your crucifixion, and your resurrection. May we not lose sight of that and may we fix our eyes on that truth as we journey on this journey of life. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. A little bit of background about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were faithful followers of God. Elizabeth has been unable to conceive in her life. Zechariah is a priest. That means his life's work is to remind people of what the king says. They were advanced in years. I love how the Bible puts it. They were advanced in years. Another way of saying that's Greek for old. But it's interesting also is that Zechariah's name means Yahweh has remembered. Yahweh has remembered. It's like God is setting the stage for something that needs to be revealed. So in Luke chapter 1, as we dive into this narrative of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it says this in verse number 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife... Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. 
But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Let me remind you of the point I already brought up. Waiting is not punishment, but preparation. See, it would be easy to believe if you're Elizabeth that maybe you have done something wrong, but I love how specific God's word is and says, hey, Elizabeth and Zechariah were blameless. The waiting had nothing to do with their performance. Can I say that again? The waiting had nothing to do with their performance. It was preparation for what God was up to. For some of you, that's all you needed today. You can check out on the rest of the message. I wouldn't because I feel like God has some more for you. But I think that's a good word. Waiting is not punishment, but preparation. Verse number eight. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. Basically, this is the way they would see who was going to be the priest to light the incense. And it just so happens this time, in this specific season, Zechariah's name was called. You're going to see that this is not coincidence because in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as coincidence, only God doing something intentionally. And so here he is, priest, and he gets called and chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. I love this. Like you'll notice this in scripture, whenever an angel comes on the scene, typically the first response is what? Fear, like, oh, why? Because these were intimidating beings, y'all. They weren't these naked babies floating, no. Not what it is. These are warriors of the king, and they're bringing one of two messages. One message is, your time is up. God has a word, he sent me here to destroy you. The other message is, hey, I bring you good news. But here's the problem. You don't know what message that brother's bringing when you first meet him. So Zechariah was a little startled. We all would have been. Verse 13. But the angel said to him, and this is typically the first thing the angel says, don't be afraid. I know I look like I'm about to kill you, but I'm not. Calm down. All is well. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For the record, this John they are talking about is John the Baptist. In case you don't catch that, let me go ahead and say, John the Baptist, you know, wore camel's hair, ate bugs, ate some honey, baptizing people, making the way for Jesus. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. If we are willing to see through a new lens, we can see the evidence of the king in the waiting. What do I mean by that? See, if Zechariah could have taken a step back and just seen what was going on, the fact that he is talking to this angel and yet his name just happened to be called, that is not coincidence. That is God being up to something. Sometimes we have to take a step back and view the world through the lens of the king and not just through our earthly lenses, everybody. 
Because sometimes we go, man, everything is horrible. Everything is wrong. We're all going to die, right? Yeah, okay, calm down. Take a step back. Look through the lens of the king and see it from his perspective. Because I dare say no matter what you're walking through, if you were to take a step back and look through the lens of the king, you will see the fingerprints of that king. So here is Zechariah. Gets this amazing news. The answer to him and Elizabeth's prayers. He gets to see the evidence that God has been working in his life in the midst of the waiting. Then verse 18 happens. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah goes, hey, Gabriel, that's cool, but I'm old, my wife is old, and old people don't have babies. That's the Nick person paraphrase. Here's what's amazing to me. Do you, I don't know if you think about this, because we talked about this a little bit with Moses. Like, Moses was talking to a burning bush that didn't catch on fire, and the burning bush was like, hey, Moses, this is what I'm going to do. I've heard the cry of my people. You're gonna, I'm going to use you in a great way. And then Moses goes, ah, I don't know about that. Excuse me? Zechariah is having a conversation with an angel of God, and he's going, listen, Gabe, I'm old. And as I point the finger at Zechariah, though, guys, and you know this to be true, like, I have seen the fingerprints of God all over my life. I've seen him work and move in ways that only he could. But yet, when he asks me to take a step of faith or when he reminds me of what is true, sometimes I go, well, let me tell you the facts, king. Can I just tell you, guys, we have to be a people that stop telling the king the facts because he already knows them. And maybe just maybe be a people that say, okay. And I know it's difficult, and I have not mastered the art of doing this, but I'm just saying, like, let us not continue to argue with the king, you know, the one who brought his son back to life, who was dead, and he was like, whoa, Jesus, get up. And Jesus was like, I'm here, right? Remember that. Like, let us not forget that in the process of waiting, in the season of waiting. God is still moving and working. Verse 19, the angel said to him, and I love this, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Basically, Gabriel's like, do you know who I am? And his voice got high just like that. Tell you no. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Let's pause right here. See, God was still going to do the thing that he told Zechariah he was going to do, he still was going to allow Elizabeth to be pregnant. He still was going to use their son. He was still going to do the very thing that he said he was going to do. But because Zechariah didn't believe, he got to miss out on part of that process. But God is still faithful. And so for those of us that go, man, God's moving is contingent and based on the way I live, that is false. God is up to something, and it's not based on your performance because while yet you were still a sinner, what did Jesus do? You better say that. He died for you, not because you did the right thing, not because you believed the right thing, but because that's the posture of the king. And so Gabriel's like, listen, God's still going to do what he's going to do, but you don't get to be as active of a participant in it because you didn't believe. You could have worshiped your way through, but now you're not going to get to Because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, 
The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Look what Elizabeth says, verse 25. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. There are two ways to respond to waiting. One way, Zechariah's way, resist it. Or the other way is Elizabeth's way, embrace it. Recognize that God is using it and working in the midst of the waiting and fix your eyes on the king. Colossians 3, 2 says this, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Why would Paul write this to the church at Colossae? Because the more we focus on things of this world, the more we tend to forget what the king is up to. If you just fix your eyes on your Twitter feed, you will forget that there is a king who is at work and on his throne. Can I get an amen? But when you fix your eyes on things above and you have a right perspective, you are able to navigate the waiting all the better because your eyes are fixed on the right thing. And here's the other thing that is true. Whatever your eyes are fixed upon is what your feet walk towards. Some of y'all are going to be in the car later and be like, ooh. Because I feel like that's a word straight from the Holy Spirit. Whatever your eyes are fixed upon, your feet will walk towards. So Gabriel being this messenger of God, goes and gives a message to Mary, Elizabeth's cousin, and says, hey, you have a baby. His name's going to be Jesus, and he is going to be the savior of the world. No pressure, girl, but you're going to do this. And then, I don't know if you remember that passage, and we'll probably cover it over the next few weeks as we walk through this Christmas season, but Mary gives the most amazing response. If that's what it is, let it be. I'm like, what? He just said you're going to be pregnant. And you're not married. Everybody's going to talk about you. But like, look at that harlot walking around with a baby. Mm. But she says, hey, I'm in. Luke verse 39 says this. At that time, after the news Mary got from Gabriel, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. As I look at Elizabeth and her stewarding this gift, her knowing what God has given her, and as she's walking well in this, it reminds me that in the midst of the waiting, we have been called to steward what has been entrusted to us. What do I mean by that? Well, see, Elizabeth has given this news, and I'm sure she's doing all the things that pregnant woman in Jesus' time did. She is stewarding this gift. She is stewarding what was entrusted to her. So how do we steward what has been entrusted to us in the season of waiting? Do what you know God has called you to do. And you go, but Nick, I don't know what that is. Well, I will tell you this. 
You read about the life of Jesus and you go and do likewise. You might be going, but what does that mean? It means, well, you love those who are around you. You use your gifts and your talents to further the kingdom. You live life with an open-handed posture. You fix your eyes on the king and you walk towards him. You have open communication with the king through prayer. You do the things that we know to do. How many times do we walk around and be like, I just don't know what to do in this season? I wish God would have given me a, a book. I wish I just had an example of what it looked like to do the will of God. That would be nice. And the Holy Spirit like, hey, God's word right here. And we have the Holy Spirit within us, everybody. Like, think about that. And sometimes we are like, well, I just need to pray about it. Listen, I'm all about some prayer. Sometimes your feet just need to move, though. I'm all about prayer. Like, yes, pray. But you don't need to pray about it if you need to give the homeless person some money. Give them the money. But, Nick, I don't know what they're going to do with it. You weren't called to know. You just called to give last time I checked. Ooh, that's too real, Nick. Blame the Holy Spirit. But I'm just saying, do what God has entrusted with you. He has given you gifts and talents and resources. Use them for the kingdom of God in the midst of the waiting. He will continue to turn the page and reveal what is next. You just be obedient in the meantime. That's what Elizabeth was doing. She was striding, not striving. What do I mean by that? She was just walking in step with the king. I'm going to be the best steward of what I got. I'm not striving to turn the page too quickly. I'm not striving to get position. I'm not striving to manipulate the king. I'm just going to stride with the king. That's the invitation for each and every one of us, to stride with the king and not strive. Luke verse, chapter 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. What was the first thing Zechariah did when he could talk? Praise God. Hmm. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Hear me. The waiting is not just to prepare you for something, but also to reveal the glory of God. All people in this hill country were talking about was, man, did you hear about Zechariah and Elizabeth and what God had done in their midst? Even though the circumstances said otherwise, God still did a work that only God could do. God gets the glory. And Zechariah was like, hey, 
This is not of our doing. Let me tell you what God has done. He has been present every step of the journey. He has been good even when I haven't been. He is still on his throne. He is still working and moving. And I have to tell everybody about what the king is doing and what the king has done. I love it. If you read on in this passage of scripture, you will see kind of the song that Zechariah wrote. And he's just like, "Woo, God did it. And he just recounts history, and he's reminding those around him of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. As I was reading this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it reminded me of one of my favorite childhood stories, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Y'all remember that story? In case you don't remember it, let me kind of recount it. I'll give you a paraphrase of the book. So there's this caterpillar. He's so cute. Look at him. Look at that caterpillar. This caterpillar, and he begins this journey, and he knows he has been called to fly, but there's a journey that is necessary in order to get to the soaring. And so everything that comes his way, he embraces it. When an apple comes, he just eats his way through that apple because it's a necessary part of the journey. When an orange comes, he eats his way through the orange. When the watermelon comes, he eats his way through the watermelon. And then eventually this caterpillar is no longer a small caterpillar because it's like a caterpillar after Thanksgiving. It just feels a little bloated. You know what I'm saying? So this bloated big caterpillar that used to be a tiny caterpillar decides that, you know what, it is time to make a cocoon. So he makes a cocoon and he stays in this chrysalis for a while. Because there's something at work in the midst of the process. So then you see that chrysalis starts to kind of shake a little bit. And you kind of see a breakthrough starting to happen. And whenever we would get to this part of the story as a kid, I wanted to help that caterpillar out. Like, let's get him out of that. But if I, if I could have helped him out of that, it would have messed up the process because every part of the process is necessary to yield what is coming at the end. So eventually that caterpillar has been transformed in the waiting. And he pops out of that chrysalis and then there's this waiting. You see his wings and you're like, surely you are ready to fly. But he has to wait because the blood has to fill his wings so that he can be best prepared to fly. And then the caterpillar flies. And you might be thinking, Nick, why would you tell me that story? What does that have to do with the waiting? This is what it has to do with the waiting. See, in order to fly, you have to go through a season of crawling. Let me say that again. In order to fly, you have to go through a season of crawling. If you bypass the crawling, you don't get to fly. After I was sitting with the Lord and he revealed that to me, I didn't like that story anymore. Hey, friends, the waiting is necessary. The waiting is a part of the plan. There's a quote from Louis Giglio's new Advent book called Waiting Here for You, where he quotes this priest named Nicky Gumbel. And he says this, Nicky Gumbel says this, who you become while you are waiting is as important as what you are waiting for. This would be something worth writing down. I'll read it again. Who you become while you are waiting is as important as what you are waiting for. The waiting is worth it. 
I'm gonna read two more scriptures for us to chew on and to walk out with. The first one is found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. I love that Isaiah is reminding us of what is true. The creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope. See, in Latin, I don't know if you know this or not, but hope and wait are the same word. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 reminds us of what this truth is rooted in. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. The waiting is worth it. Maybe you find yourself in a place today where you've heard that. You've heard about this king. You heard about him sending his son on a redemption rescue mission. And that mission we got to see in this manger where he was born as the least of these. And for 33 years, he lived a perfect life. That means he never made one mistake. He lived the life that we are unable to live. And then he surrendered his life on a cross, dying a death that we should have died because of our brokenness and because of our sinfulness. Of all the times we have missed the mark. And then three days later, yes, three days, the world was waiting. Was what he said really true? And then three days later, his heart began to beat, and he came back to life, overcoming sin and death on our behalf. So maybe, just maybe, you find yourself and you've heard about Jesus, you've been in close proximity to Jesus, but you have never taken your seat at the table of the king. Maybe today is that day. So if you would, right where you are, would you bow your heads? For some of my friends in this place and those watching online, maybe they've heard about you, Jesus, maybe They've read about you, Jesus, but maybe they have never taken the seat at your table. So maybe right here, right now, is their time to take their seat. If they could say something like this to you right where they are. Dear Jesus, I do not understand it all. Nobody does. But in the best way I know how, I say yes to the perfect life you live. I say yes to the mission that your Father in heaven sent you on. I say yes to the fact that you surrendered your perfect life on a cross to die a death that was meant for me. And I say yes to the fact that three days later, 
The waiting was not wasted and you were resurrected from the grave. I say yes. Jesus, in this moment, would you remind those that if they prayed something like that to you on the authority of your word, you say that they are saved. Another way to say it is they have taken their seat at the table of the king and become as a son or daughter of the king. And Father, maybe there are those in this place that have given up hope that you are working in the waiting. Will you remind them through a supernatural way that you haven't given up on them and that you truly are trustworthy? And may they see with clarity the fingerprints all over their life that you are working, that you are moving. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love us greatly. Thank you that you pursued us. Thank you that you're working in the midst of the waiting. And thank you, King, that you would call someone such as I your son. Jesus, we love you. Will you continue to remind us that you're working and you're moving, that you are still seated on your throne because our ultimate need has been answered through your sacrifice and resurrection. So we love you. We thank you and pray all these things in your holy, holy name. Amen.